mom and there's not a podcast. Today we have Megan with us to chat all about her momlet. So Megan, thank you for being here. We're going to do this. We've had a lot of technical issues. So um, let's just get right to it. So your your firstborn, your daughter, she was born premature. Can you tell us what that was like? Yeah. So, um, fun story. I was 300 miles away from home on a vacation and my water broke in the middle of the night at my girlfriend's house. (laughs) And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, it's gotta be a mucus plug or something five weeks early. Right. And then I just didn't stop or anything. So I drove myself to the hospital And they uh, admitted me and they're like, oh, well, it's your, we think it's your water, but um, there's still a chance you could go home. Like I drove up to Northern California and I was like, oh, okay. So I was texting like, no big deal. You don't have to get out of bed at four o'clock in the morning. And sure enough, they ambulanced me to another hospital where they had an OB on staff and they were like, oh yeah, no, we're delivering today. And so I was like, leave Southern California and, uh, we're having a C-section at one. Hopefully you make it. And he showed up at like 1250. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And, uh, it was just wild ever since. I mean, my whole hospital experience could be like its own book at that point. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine if they have to ambulance you to a different facility where there's an OB to attend to you. I mean, I had Kaiser and it was in Sacramento, which is the capital of California. And I went to the local Kaiser and they said, sorry, we don't have an OB on staff. We have to ambulance you to the opposite end in Roseville of Sacramento, which is like 45 minutes away in morning rush hour traffic for an OB to uh, properly tell me that my water had broken. Oh my God. And I was like, why are you a massive hospital and you don't have a doctor that can tell you what a broken water is? (laughs) That just speaks volumes in and of itself. Yeah. So how, how did the, so they ended up having like scheduling you a C-section like that day? Is yeah. That- so what had happened was, wow. um, my, my hemoglobin went from 14 to 6.8 in under 10 days. And Wow. Um, at that point I, my water broke because it was like fight or flight for the baby. Because <laughs> I was so, going downhill. So explain to people who might not know, like, what's the hemoglobin count and why that's important. So you know. hemoglobin is the iron in our body, or like in our blood flow. And so a healthy hemoglobin would be uh, like 11 to maybe 16. And so 14 is very, very, mm-hmm. very healthy, especially in pregnancies. In third trimester, they like you around 12. Um, because you're, you're preparing to lose blood, but, um, right. Right. But 6.8 is like, you shouldn't be walking. A a normal person shouldn't have been driving, (laughs) let alone a pregnant woman. There's no, there's no, 
there's no way to know that until you're at the hospital or you have that count done. Right. Well, I had my blood done like 10 days earlier and I was at 14 and I had a healthy pregnancy. There was no risk. There was no don't go on vacation. There was you can work up until any time you want. And I just went and saw my girlfriends for one last hurrah. And I got there like 8 o'clock at night and 4 in the morning, water broke. And that was it. (laughs) Did they say like anything that could have contributed to that rapid decline? I mean, we all have our suspicions. But, um, (laughs) you know, everyone... Every doctor's answer to pregnancy is we're experts, but we don't know. Everyone's different. (laughs) So uh, they just said it could have been stress. It could have been the road trip I took. It could have been, um, and I'm like stress. I was on maternity leave. I didn't have, yeah. So one thing I, I, so this is. Go ahead. Uh, oh, one go thing ahead. they go said, ahead. I it could have been the spicy tacos I ate the night before. <laughs> for your for your hemoglobin counts to go down for my water to 50% just percent in one, and they didn't, and they said that it could have been um, my baby's toenail could have just scratched my water, and that's what broke it. I I heard them all. I heard it all, and I just I chalked it up as. I I could I could probably do a fucking podcast just on this topic. <laughs> this sounds absolutely bizarre. Okay, but that's, it was that's just... it was anyway terrible. And then she was a Christmas baby, so they said, you know, when it was time to release her and me, they were like, okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow for a pediatric appointment because she's a preemie. We want to make sure she doesn't have jaundice and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, I live 300 miles away. I'm about to drive home, and they're like. Oh, well, you're extremely high risk. So just make sure you have a doctor's appointment in the next three days. We'll check you out. And so we dro- we got released and drove like the five hour drive took us about wow. 10 hours with a brand newborn. I just had a C-section. It was hard. <laughs> it was wild. That sounds awful. Yeah. And I did it again. Sounds like a- <laughs> Like a nightmare. Yes. You still had another child. So this is totally off topic, but how did the second birth compare to the first? Oh I feel like we need to know. Oh my gosh. Let's just say as eventful. Let's just say I handle and coach postpartum because I am not a good pregnant person. <laughs> It sounds like you're a good pregnant. You just maybe don't like the, the, you know, the, the last hurrah, the delivery process, like just, just explode. I had just as wild (laughs) of an experience with my second one. It just wasn't in the delivery. It was the whole pregnancy. And I attribute it. Oh God. Yeah. I attribute it to all the wild things that were happening in the world and, you know, Mm. I just, yeah, I was on heart monitors for a perfect heart. I had, um, I was getting blood drawn. I had ultrasounds. I had everything to check out. Like why my hands kept turning purple and they didn't know why. I know. (laughs) 
That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, they had no idea. My hand, my hand just kept turning purple, and so I finally just—it's kind of how tallow and honey really started. Like, you know, my moisturizer company started was because I was locked in the house, basically on bed rest, and couldn't move. So I started researching everything I could. <laughs> I'm bored. I need something to do. I know. <laughs> I know. There's only so much Law & Order you can watch, really. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a lot of different, you know, sectors. I'm like, you know, there's like New New York and LA. Anyway. I know. Um, we've talked a little bit about this, but you also had some issues with breastfeeding. Can you tell us a little bit about your breastfeeding journey? Yeah. So I definitely feel like there were interventions that had happened that were in mm. the best interest to help the support of my breastfeeding, but it actually, in my opinion, it hindered it a lot more. Um, they, because mm. I had a preemie and they said that my nipples were inverted and she had a tongue tie, uh, it was harder for her to like pull the nipple out. Like I wasn't fully ready to nurse her. Um, so they gave me a nipple shield, which was great. Don't get me wrong. Like anything to not get chapped is awesome, but they really were implying that it was okay to use all the time. Well, if I use it all the time, one, I'm losing the skin to skin connection Two, it's not training my nipple mm. to, and it's not training her to latch either. You know, it's as easy as a body. Right, exactly. So, um, I think losing a lot of that connection just like dropped my supply tremendously. They were worried mm. about her blood sugar in the hospital. And so they put her on, you know, formula supplemented right away. Cause that was the only way we could get released. And, I wanted the best for my baby and I went with it, but, right. um, that dropped my supply tremendously. I mean, those super suckers they have in the hospital for pumping are just like, they suck oh the gosh. life out of you and it's great. But then you go home <laughs> and your little Medela is like, <laughs> uh, uh. And you're not getting anything out, you know? It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> and you're just sitting there like an hour later, like I got a half an ounce. <laughs> like, I was I was rocking it back in the day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. No, a hundred percent. So I totally forgot about that. Um, I think that if I would have been supported maybe in like, hey, you should try a hand pump. Because I found that those were so much better to, you know, get it out. Um, and also... Did you have, like... Huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. And also, I was told that I just couldn't connect to a machine. And so, you know, I had to not be feeding my baby because I wasn't pumping anything. And lo and behold, this girl was latched all the time. I know she was getting something, you know? <laughs> Something was coming. I mean, it could have just been even comfort. If she was five weeks early and constantly nursing, part of that could have just been a comfort thing yeah. to be close to you. You know, I mean, this is just me thinking off the top of my head. Like, but 
she's a premature child. She's not supposed to be in the world for another four to five weeks. Like she might just want to be close to mom. Is that a bad thing? Like, I don't. Exactly. And like my nipple shield would be full of milk when she, when I take it off. So I know there was milk happening, but, um, yeah, it was like, so we had a colicky issue where at like two, three o'clock in the morning, she would scream for three to four hours. Mm-hmm. And I noticed finally like a pattern where I would take a nap around, you know, six o'clock when my fiance would get home from work and he mm-hmm. would feed her a bottle and I would get her back around 11, 12 o'clock at night. She would probably have her last bottle around 10.30, the time it took to process through her body, one, two, three o'clock in the morning, it's reacting to her. And I kept talking to the doctors, like, I think it might be the formula. And they said, oh, it couldn't be, Mm. try this one. And I swear, I must've gotten five samples from my pediatrician. I had, you know, I ordered some from Germany that was goat's milk based to make sure it was better. Or I did the soy or the gentle ease, or I did six of them in three months and it was the same exact thing. Um, so I finally just said, I think I'm going to go exclusive. And they're like, well, you don't have milk. You haven't been exclusive, You, you know, this, that, and the other. I really think you should just put her on formula altogether. And here's some drops for this and acid reflux for that and, you know, so on and so forth. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, I went home, I cried a lot, a lot <laughs> in the bathtub. And I just kind of realized I was given this child and I was given the instinct of what's best yeah. for her. And so I went exclusive against the lactation consultants, better, you know, judgment against the pediatrician, against my fiance's opinion, my mother-in-law's. I mean, the whole gamut was like, you're crazy. You're crazy. And in three weeks, she went from the fourth percentile in weight to the 26th percentile in weight. And she stopped throwing up and screaming in the middle of the night. (laughs) I love that you said that because I think you touched on two really important things. One being, I think most importantly, maternal instincts. Like, yes, it's so, it's really hard to explain that. And, and, you know, God love my husband and he always defaults to me because moms do, I feel like in my opinion, in my experience, like know their children better than anyone. Like, no, you just don't, you just, you can't even explain it. It's like, no, don't do it. And, and, and you just, you know, especially in those first newborn to age three, like, I don't think anybody knows a child better than, than a mom who's been there since those first few days in the hospital, whether it's, I will say a biological mother or an adoptive mother or anything like that. Anybody who's been present from those first few days onward, like they know that child better than anyone. There's a connection there. You cannot break. Totally. And I, I would argue, but I, I don't know. My husband's adopted. Um, so I, I would be interested to see what his mom thinks. But I think like when you carry that child there, it literally, there is a, that is a part of you on the outside world. Like, so there is, there is an organic connection, but the, that's not to say that a, 
an adoptive parent or someone can't step in and assume that role right. as well. So I never want to like take that away from any adoptive parent. But the other, the other interesting thing that I, oh my God, I just lost it. Cause you were talking about crap, <sighs> the maternal instincts, bah, um, are saying that it's about like breastfeeding and da, da, da. oh, what people don't understand about formula is that it has a lot of inorganic materials in it and it is made with things that babies can't digest. So goat milk is one of the better ones because it's easier to digest, but babies can't di digest lactose until they're at least six months old across the board. They can't do it. So if your baby is colicky, a doctor's going to say, oh, your baby's colicky. You need this. If your baby's colicky, you can do, do this research on your own. This is the only reason I know it. And you're giving them formula or a milk-based or cow-based product. Most likely that's the cause because they can't digest it. Well, even just, if you that's go a fact. with like a soy-based you're giving them hormones that they're not ready to process they, either. Right. So that, so there you go. And that, so all these things. So I just think that we're given all these options and you know what, there are some babies who need it and yes. there are awesome moms who, who struggle. Yes. Like, let, let, I'm not trying to no. say what I'm saying is that there are options out there that are better that could reduce X, Y, and Z. And then you don't have to put your kid on a damn pill for colic when they're two weeks old. Well, the thing that bothered All me, there was two things that, like, I discovered, obviously, through the process. One, I stopped supplementing with formula, and I started pumping extra and supplementing with every drop that came out of me. So, like, I would mm. feed her, and then I would pump, and if I got an ounce, that ounce went into a bag, and then the next ounce went into a bag, and the next ounce went into a bag, and finally, in three hours, I would get three ounces, and that would be her bottle that night so I could get a nap. Yes, it was a lot right. more work, but it stopped the all of it. It stopped that part yeah. of it, right? And so that was one thing. And the other thing is that there are tons and tons and tons of moms that do overproduce very beautifully and they donate their milk. We could very easily support each other on, you know, it takes a village. Yeah. It takes a village. And if that mom is overflowing, I love that. Pump it, donate it. Pray to all the angels and saints. <laughs> Praise me. I'm a Catholic, okay? Uh, I got all of them. Mary, <laughs> Jesus, Joseph, the apostles. I got them all. I'm praying to everybody. <laughs> but something they don't want from us is to be off of their products, right? So that wasn't the first thing offered to me. And that was where it was like, Interesting. I should be able to work through this. If I'm saying this is making me sick or making her sick or something's not yeah. right, why are you giving me another option down the same path? Can we get creative and think outside the box? <laughs> could, could we think that maybe it's the product for once? I, you know? It's so interesting you say that too. Uh, I was just listening to a podcast about like, pharmaceuticals and 
it was about, it's, it's a study. It's out. I can even put it in this podcast link, but about how some of these medicines have been shown to be ineffective because they don't do what they say they're supposed to do. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But we've made billions of dollars. And it, it just is really interesting that the first thing I was lucky to be in a very breast feeding friendly hospital, uh, when I gave birth in Texas. Um, and I literally had too many nurses and lactation consultants, like helping me express, but at the same time, like it was my first kid. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I needed. And, um, I didn't know how to, in, in retrospect, I would have had one of those like hookah things, you know? Yeah. And I would have like saved that, like, you know, if I would, if I were to ever have a second child, I would do things 180 degrees differently. Yeah. And one of the things would be was one of those handhead hookah things and said so hookah, haka, however the hell you say it. Not like a hookah, but it's like H O K or whatever. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. Like, I know it's like the H and the K and there's whatever the vowels are in between. I would totally do it differently. And I'd have one of those things going into the hospital. Yeah. Um, so in, in my hospital, yeah. they were like, oh, well, she's already supplemented with formula. So how about we take her to the nursery for the night and we'll just feed her a bottle in there so you can have six hours of, you know, undisturbed sleep. And dear Lord, was I like, yes. Looking back on that, I was like, nah, because you know what? I needed to go home and stay up all night and nurse her anyway. So I should have just started from day one and kept that flowing, you know, like that intervention is also, no, don't feed her a bottle during that time. Wake me up, latch her on. Let's do this. Like it's hard, but it's just a season. It's temporary. It doesn't last forever. So we need to go through this, you know, ups and downs. (laughs) So after all those formula trial and errors was was it the bathtub moment that you realized that you were like i need to follow my instincts or was there something specific that happened where you were like screw these doctors like i need to tr-. was was there just like a moment where you were like the maternal instincts just kind of kicked in that you remember yeah and yeah i can like i can tell you exactly what happened i got in another fight with my fiance about how we need to supplement with formula because I was taking away his nighttime feedings and his bonding times. Oh, I see. And I told him that he needs to find other ways to um, bond with her because, you know, he can feed her a bottle of my stuff, but we need to knock out formula because I am in full belief that this is what is harming doing more harm than good. And, um, I was fed up with it being probably my last and final straw of fighting everyone. And I locked myself in the bedroom for the entire day on a Saturday. It was his day off. And I said, you think, you know, better, you go take care of her for the day. And I want you to take care of all the night too. I'm done. I'm I'm getting sleep. And I took the pump in my room and I locked the door and I pumped and I cried and I pumped and I cried and I pumped and I cried. Oh, honey. That that was going to be 
whatever I got out that day was going to be the end of it. And she was on formula. And if I'm not getting support and I'm just seen as crazy, then you know what? You guys step in too. And about five hours later, he knocked on the door and he brought in a crying little baby girl and said, she needs you. I understand. She needs you. And then it was like, then we're going full force the way I want from here on out. And it was like, yes, I agree. And it was that moment where something in my brain flipped and I was like, I'm going to believe in me. I'm going to do it because I know I can and she deserves the best and the best is whatever I can provide at this time. I mean, I think fed is best. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not saying, I'm not like knocking anyone, but I knew in that moment for my child that I was what was best and I needed to forego whatever I needed to be able to do that. So I called my work the next day and I extended my maternity leave and said, until my daughter is up on weight, I'm not going back. And I just, I, I went full force. I mean, I jumped head, head first and, and I think that that meltdown that I had for five hours laying in bed, crying and crying. And I don't even know what was on the TV, but I'm sure something was, was, (laughs) you know, just as nourishing as Mm. anything could have been. I mean, I, I released my anguishes, you know what I mean? I needed to cry it out. Yeah, (laughs) It did make me feel better. (laughs) You got to feel your feels, you know, you got to feel your feels. And like how many times as moms do we just put on this mask or this charade and we're like, no, it's hard. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. But we're not stopping and feeling how we are in that moment, you know, and I hurt myself. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to have this meltdown because I deserve to. (laughs) Otherwise. That was it, you know, and here I am. It's three and a half years later. I'm tandem nursing and, you know, my baby is, I think, in the 78th percentile for weight. My three and a half year old is about the same. And, you know, we're thriving. We made it through. We got through those humps. I, I nursed pregnant. I nursed postpartum. (laughs) I nursed through, you know, no supply, oversupply, mastitis. I mean, all of these things, were they easy? No, but here we are, you know, it's a season. We'll get to the next one. And when she's a teenager, the next season's going to be rough too. Like, don't worry. I'll cry it out then too. (laughs) Looking forward (laughs) <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Sometimes the cry it out method does work. It does. Thanks, sleep coaches. But it does. <laughs> I do need it. So let's talk a little bit about how nutrition played into your breastfeeding journey. What did you discover that was very important to making sure you could be literally a plethora of abundance for your children? Yes, yes, yes. So um, postpartum the first time, 
I ate everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, you talk about Arby's. I needed one. Like, I needed the beef and cheddar <laughs> crap. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> Their roast beef is amazing. I haven't had it in years, but it, it's really damn good. I know. And, you know, people would bring over pizza and, hey, I ran to Costco. Here's some mm. mac and cheese you can throw in the oven. And, you know, um, you know. Here's a nacho bar. Here's, you know, chips and cheese and you can make some nachos. And huh? as I as I loved all of that, thank you so much. I'm I'm not knocking <laughs> anything that I did. My lactation consultant was like, oh, well, her colicky is because you're having dairy. So you need to cut that out, which in cases I believe that's true. But in my case, I kept saying it was the formula, right? And so I cut out dairy and that wasn't fun. It was a little bit more challenging than I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, and you know, you need to do all the oats, you need to do barley, try drinking beer, do, you know, lentil beans and hummus. And I literally would do oatmeal in the morning, hummus in the F for a snack and lentil soup for lunch. And I mean, and then more oats, and then more oats, and then more oats, and a pink drink at Starbucks. <laughs> and, I mean, I could go on about all this stuff that I tried, right? And just to get my supply up. And um, those are all inflammatory. Can we just point that out? Mm. Can we just say that you're in the middle of healing? You're inflamed. I had just had major surgery being a C-section and you're adding more inflammation to yeah. the process. So how is my body supposed to heal enough to absorb, to make more milk? It's exhausted. It's done. It hasn't slept. <laughs> it's not, it's not getting self care. I mean, what was the last time I brushed my hair? Really? Can we talk about that? No. <laughs> um, so, you know, it wasn't until about 18 months postpartum, I was struggling with a lot, a lot, a lot of things. And I hired a nutritionist and we reset my hormones with healthy foods and diet and exercise. And through that process, I was able to get pregnant with my second son or second child. And postpartum that time, it was all bone broth which is gut healing, mm. anti-inflammatory. It was steaks, which was the protein that my body needed to thrive. It was avocado right. toast. It was, you know, healthy fats for a developing brain. And I mean, how many times I just talked to my naturopathic doctor the other day and he was like, you know, is there a connection between mom brain and lack of healthy fats? I don't know. And it's like, you know, are we starving ourselves? And so, um, Probably. I, I, I full force believe that part of my healing process first time around, especially because I was anemic so bad that I should have been mm. eating more 
foods that would support that healing process of, you know, that postpartum, that lack of Mm -hmm. iron in my body to help bring it back to life. Like I, I literally, I said this on another podcast one time, I felt like a bad car accident that people would slow down to walk by because I was just going through postpartum. I wasn't feeling good. I wasn't strong. It was so hard. And I was looking back so malnourished. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, hundred percent because there's such a, there's such a stigma in our culture that you have to like recover Yeah, and you have to have like your pre baby body, whatever that means within a certain amount of time. The, the reality is, you know, and I still struggle with it. My son's four years old and I, I gained 50 pounds with him and I have only lost 25 of those pounds and it's hard some days. And I lost 25 of those pounds in the first week after he was born. Like him, the placenta, some water weight, a little bit of blood. Great. And I was like, oh, awesome. I'm halfway there. And four years later, I'm like, I'm still halfway there. But there is a focus on an unhealthy beauty standard. And we can really, that's another topic of for another day. But it's hard to avoid as a woman, no matter how, even though it's changing, like you and I are of a generation where we grew up with that beauty standard in our Barbies, in our skipper dolls, in, you know, this aesthetic that even though, even if we are healthy and even if we are confident, like it's still in there in our brain, like rattling around of like, oh, you need to be this and you need to be that. And it still exists whether we want to admit it or not. It's there. I mean, I have to go back to my, you know, premature experiment experience with my daughter. Um, and one of the doctors that I did take her to for a tongue tie, um, mm-hmm. you know, second opinion, because I thought it was the tongue tie that was making it so she couldn't gain weight or latch properly or something. It had to be her. It wasn't me or, you know, it had to be me. It couldn't be the four. It couldn't be anything else. Right. Because that's what I was told. Right. And something that doctor told me was, um, he looked at her and he goes, she's a preemie. Right. And I said, yeah, five weeks early. He goes, I bet if you look in the chart at where a healthy five week, like five weeks prior, and whatever, you know, say yeah. it was like 10 weeks old, whatever a five week was, um, I bet she'd be off the charts. And I was like, mm-hmm. why are we putting so much stigma of weight on a newborn? Is this where it starts? Is this the cycle of, oh no, you're underweight. Oh no, you're overweight. Oh no, oh. you're not normal. But why aren't we looking at them as bio right. individuals of what has this person gone through to get to where we are yeah. so we can start getting better? Right. Where, whatever yeah. that better I is. That. Like my sister was, <laughs> and I think that's what, I think that's where healthcare is really becoming. I think our generation has kind of demanded it as we become parents. I really do believe this wholeheartedly. I think us as individuals growing up the way we did children of the eighties in particular, um, 
And later we've just kind of come to this thing where we're like, what the heck? Like, why are we doing it? Like millennials and younger were like, this is not okay. Yeah. What the standard is. And I do believe like we've demanded and we've given opportunity, not like me specifically, but like as a generation, I've kind of demanded and inquired enough for there to be like functional, you know, doctors and, you know, functional nutritionists and people who aren't literally owned by pharmaceuticals companies to offer healthy alternatives before you pump drugs. Now, some people do have imbalances and some people do need pills to regulate. You can't negate that. Majority of the population can self-regulate through diet and exercise and diet. doesn't mean like you have to go on a diet. That means what are you fueling your body with? Mm -hmm. And what I need because my ancestors are Scott Irish and Italian is very different than what you need for your ancestors are. And you can see it in me, my brother, my sister, my sister can eat pasta all day long and she'll be a hundred pounds soaking wet. She was premature. She was 10 weeks early. Um, I can eat potatoes all day long. And I, I it's like that sugar is like, but yeah, it keeps me fired. Right. Like, that's fine. <laughs> French fries, it doesn't matter. Whatever potato you want to get, uh-huh. me, I can metabolize. She, she can't. So if I eat her pasta every day, I gain so much weight. If she eats my potatoes, so it's just really interesting. Like you have to look at the individual and it's so funny that here we are hundreds of years into medicinal practices. And now that's just happening like that. Like my husband's always like, Oh, you don't trust doctors. I was like, no, no, no. I don't trust doctors. I don't trust people who aren't willing to look outside the box. And I don't trust people because their experience matters. And if they don't have experience with someone like me, they're not going to be any use to me. And I think that's a really important thing to factor into when you're growing children and trying to govern them now. And like, I don't want to say streamline, but like you're trying to show them a path we have to remember that like they are individuals and everybody needs something different. Right. And that's a really hard thing, I think, for an industry that works on generalities. Well, it, I didn't even Ooh. realize for myself until I had my baby that here we are in a bubble. And are you checking the, the list? Mm-hmm. Okay, you're within a healthy weight range. You, you know, yeah. here's your blood work and you might have a little high cholesterol. Cut back on this. Okay, have a good day. Right. Checklist, checklist, checklist. I don't know your name, but checklist, have a good day. See you in a year or when you have an ailment. And almost when it says like consult with a doctor and you consult with your doctor, you're almost annoying them that you made an appointment (laughs) sometimes because they're so overworked, right? Yeah. Everything, every bottle you pick up, you pick up a vitamin bottle. It says consult with your doctor before taking like everything you touch almost says consult with a doctor. But if we did that, honestly, with they, we, they wouldn't exist because they would be so busy with just vitamins that you take every day. Um, but right, exactly. But here we are in a bubble, you know, and we say, oh, we have a headache. Oh, that's common. But is it normal? Are we asking why you have a headache? Are you wondering yeah. how much water you drink in a day? Like, 
Yeah. There's so many factors that can go into one person that yep. I think the disconnect really has become checking those boxes. You know? Oh, 100%. Like we went, as long as you're checking, I remember just to your point about physicians, I remember saying to a, uh, an OB, I've moved around a lot. So I've had a lot of gynecologists and OB, OBGYNs in particular. And I remember saying to one, oh, I only have to come like, every, I think it's like three to five years now. Oh yeah. It, for like an annual. Yeah. And I, so I had to have like precancerous cells scraped and you know, uh, uh, so I couldn't be pregnant and I was diagnosed with this and I was diagnosed. With, and, and then I'm like, as somebody who's had blood clots, who's had precancerous cells and was told I couldn't be pregnant and became pregnant. Like, I don't think three to five years works for me. And she's like, well, I know my opinion. I wanted to be like, well, then why the fuck are you a gynecologist? Because if you don't want to see your patients every year and how often are women told if we would have caught this six months earlier maybe you wouldn't have breast cancer maybe you wouldn't have a ovarian cancer if we if we would have but now you want to tell me that i only need an annual every three to five years y'all can suck it like that's not cool like i want my lady parts checked i have a history of ovarian cancer in my family like i don't i don't i don't need that shit <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to die at 55 well Thanks. why Thanks. aren't we anyway why aren't we normalizing that we hire them they work for That's us a good point. you yeah. know why is my pediatrician pushing formula that is giving her bonuses and i'm not on me instead right. of listening to me as the person I hired mm -hmm. you to do a job. 100%. Why, why are we normalizing that these jobs have turned into listen to me at all costs because I know best? Right. Uh, I think that's a really important thing to highlight. Again, I value OBGYN. I am grateful for the one that delivered my son. Yes. I'm, there's nobody here slandering a profession. What we are talking about, however, is following your gut and understanding that sometimes the physician that you have trusted and it does ha it does happen very frequently and you can especially see it in women of, of of color they do tend to talk down to you if you don't have a certain a backbone 100% if you like I told my doctors like I cannot have a c-section my husband's leaving four days after my son is born or sorry five days after our son is born for a business trip for a week I can't have a c-section oh and he doesn't drive at that point in time he didn't have his license um he's a foreigner um so I I couldn't I needed some so you have to look at your day-to-day -day existence and then you have to demand an expectation from your doctor and if your doctor is not on the same page as you or doesn't believe in what you want then they're not the doctor for you because there are practitioners out there who will support your endeavors and they will support your wants so my doctor had to vacuum my son out because i said what do you gotta do i was like i can't get in a c-section i've been laboring for 24 it was like 16 hours but i was on it was a fucking mess yeah they all are do what you gotta do to get them out 
do what you got to do to get him out. Don't cut me open. And that was just like my non-negotiable because I knew I needed to be able to get up and walk, drive, maneuver. I definitely would not have been driving 24 hours later for 300 miles. That would not have been me. So kudos to you, Megan. Oh, my God. And see, I'm the opposite. I... I demanded I want to be a C-section from the beginning. And I had, you know, doctors that said if you were, if something happened emergency situation and I was on call, I would refuse your C-section. And I looked at him and I said, I would close my legs and I would refuse you to be in the room until I got someone that would. And then I had, you know, another doctor that was like, well, I don't know. Why do you want a C-section? And I was like, honestly, I don't want to be an emergency C-section. And I just have a feeling that something is going to happen. So I'd rather go in in a controlled situation where I know it's going to happen. And lo and behold, I didn't know that five weeks early, my hemoglobin was going to drop and I was practically dying anyways. Like here we are. I had this instinct from almost day one. Right. And like, that was something I did listen to. And she was like, well, I don't know if I feel comfortable. You're healthy. So there's no reason to make you a C-section. And I said, if you don't do it, I'll go to the local news and I'll tell him that you're not doing it. And then the hospital will respond and you'll be paying for it at that point because I'll get the community involved and you will not be happy about that. And finally, she was like, well, let me get my scheduler out. <laughs> but once again, here we are listening to our instinct. Your instinct was that you had mm -hmm. to go through the birth that you needed. And that's what you and your family right. were going to thrive on. And that's phenomenal. I knew 100%. without knowing that something was going to happen, that something was going to happen. And lo and behold, it did. So, you know, taking that instinct, and I say in mothers, from day one that you get pregnant, honestly, and even before that, because um, your body speaks to you. <laughs> like You've really got to mm -hmm. listen because if I would have tried and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and then they would have taken my, they took my blood three separate times when I was getting ready, when Oof. I got um, administered to the hospital because they didn't believe my hemoglobin was that bad. And like, I was walking, I was talking, I went to the bathroom, I was screaming. <laughs> wow. I, was, I, I threw something at a nurse because um, she was trying to push things on me that I didn't want. And I took paperwork and I threw them back at her and I was like, you better listen to me. Like, I am, I took a work call in the middle of a contraction, <laughs> but you know, those are all things that <laughs> I was in an adrenaline rush because I should have been probably having a blood transfusion instead of taking a work call for, you know, the great city <laughs> where I was taking it. And in like, 
instinctively from my first trimester, I was literally like, I need to be a C-section. And did I speak it into the universe that way? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, there could have been all kinds of things you could say about that. But at the end of the day, I just had a feeling that I didn't want to be in an emergency situation because if I was going to heal from something, I wanted it to be one way track. (laughs) I didn't want to be like, I get that pushing and crowning. And then I was emergency (laughs) C-section. So maybe that was my trauma, right? Just being relived of like, for me and my mom, I crowned and then pulled back and then I was an emergency C-section. So I wouldn't imagine if I had to heal twice or both areas or you know what I mean so yeah mentally and physically totally yeah so no you know it was my it is funny that you put that out there (laughs) (laughs) because I was gonna say like I told my doctor x y and z and lo and behold when it came to an intervention and then you were saying like you didn't want to have x y and z and then so like maybe we manifested i mean who knows we don't know my nephew i'm not on that level of consciousness yet okay right working on it right and my nephew probably a year and a half earlier was born and he was you know ripped out with forceps and like oh geez you know that was something it's that scared me so you know for whatever reason i was just like I have this feeling. Now, granted, my daughter was six weeks or five weeks early and she was six pounds, 10 ounces. So she was a healthy, if I would have kept going, she probably would have been like 10 pounds, (laughs) you know? And so in my first trimester, this is what I'm going through. My second and third trimester, I am anticipating a big baby. I was a small framed person. I just felt like there was going to be some, you know, square peg and around. Something's got to give. <laughs> Something's got to give. Now I want to touch on like one big thing. Cause I, I think this is really important. Um, especially for, for moms who are, who are about to have another kid and still breastfeeding. But so you're still tandem nursing. Like, yes. What, why is that important to you? Why have you gone so long nursing both kids? Um, particularly your daughter. So I didn't have plans to nurse this long. Um, and I blog about it a lot because, um, you know, here we are still doing it. And I think there's benefits to both. Um, The reason why I've gone so long is because my daughter has night terrors. And Mm. we've had a lot of housing issues in the last year. We were living Mm. somewhere, excuse me, amazingly, and we loved it so much. And it got infested with mold. And... Um, so I wanted to end, you know, and I was seven weeks postpartum. We had to immediately get out in like three days and we had just signed a brand new lease there and we're, you know, we loved it. It was, it was our growing home for our growing family. Right. And, um, our world got flipped upside down and, um, then we stayed with my brother for a little bit and that was hectic. And then we moved to Florida for a little bit and 
that house ended up having mold and so we jumped ship and no. came back to, <laughs> then we came back to tennessee and um you know i don't even look up at the ceiling anymore because <laughs> we just don't want to know i don't want to know <laughs> but um i think the trauma for my daughter it's definitely a comfort thing and it's because mm. she i I truly believe that her night terrors are derived from stress. And so I'm trying mm, to teach her right now to pray about it. Like, just talk talk it out. Get it out. Like, you're obviously harboring yeah. something and you can't totally. even rest, right? Like, I want you to rest. And, um, and so we only do it at night and it's just for comfort. I give her all the affirmations before bed and then I nurse her to bed and, um, and she's pretty much like weaned besides that, but just to give her that little bit of comfort. Cause it's, she yeah. has been gone through so much trauma yeah, and totally. I didn't want to nurse, I didn't want to nurse past six months initially. Right. Like I was like, I'm going to get to six months. <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm done. And then as my journey continued, I learned that it was our journey. It wasn't anyone else's. Yeah. And so it was bio-individual for her and what her mm. needs were. And this is a small period of time in my life that I can give that to her. So mm. I might as well support her in any which way I can. And if this is what it takes, fine. Give me dirty looks. Tell me I, I it's n not of the social norm and I'll give you all the, you know, the who says that it's absolutely okay. It doesn't matter. Well, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah they do. They <laughs> tell you that. I'll show you uh, other cultures where they don't stop until five, right? And so it's like, what is the norm and why are you telling it to me? Because right. last I checked... You're not laying in my bed. You're not the one responsible for feeding my child. You can give me all the dirty looks you want, but at the end of the day, I'm getting her healthy through mold twice. I'm getting her through so many transitions of life. I'm getting her yeah. through being an only child to a, the oldest child and yeah. that part. And I'm getting her to the point where she's going to be going to school and my goal obviously is to stop at four, but it's her journey. Obviously I'm not going to be sitting there, you know, going to middle school dance with her, but <laughs> here you need something to wet your whistle. <laughs> I know that shimmy. <laughs> um, but you know, to we... each their own. <laughs> And then, you know, further trauma, one of our, her favorite people, my aunt, recently passed away. And so she asks all the time, can I call? Can I call? Can I call? She would just FaceTime her all day long, Aww. put her up in her play kitchen and pretend to cook for her all day. Right. And, and, uh, she recently passed away. And so there's another trauma that she's trying to work through. My uncle that she did the same, uh, is stage four leukemia now and is laid up in a hospital. So she's transitioning through a lot of things right now. And it's not necessarily all about nutrition. It's about right. 
their needs. And some of our needs are emotional, mental, yeah. you know? And so, um, do I plan to do it forever? No, not at all. But do I believe she's getting what she needs at the time being? Yeah. And you know what? We'll get through it. <laughs> I think that's just so important too. Like you have to do what's best for your child based on I mean, let's go back to the first thing you said, like at the beginning here, it's like trusting your instincts, yeah, doing what you need. And I think that's really important. You know, yeah. we always know better than people give us credit for. And you just got to kind of have to run with that. I feel like you and I could probably talk about a million things all day long. So, um, I hate to, but I'm going to cut this off yes. <laughs> and say, thank you, Megan, for being part of the mama notes, not a podcast. Yeah, this has been awesome uh, to everybody out there tuning in. Uh, we're going to bring Megan back to talk about her um, her skincare brand, Tallow and Honey, at, at a later date and time. So stay tuned for that. But until then, have fun learning about all the things you didn't know you needed to know. Mm-hmm.